Real faith is rooted in basic ignorance about ultimate things, and religion helps us to be in relation to that mystery. This kind of ignorance can offer calm or create anxiety, depending on a person's faith. Often people fill in this emptiness by insisting that they possess the truth. The fragility of their faith is betrayed by their strident insistence on being right and by their efforts to force their views on others. They seem afraid of the very things that define religion, mystery and trust. The Soul's Religion by Thomas More There is nothing new under the sun. Yes, times have changed, but the heart of man is still desperately wicked. Supported by colonial pillars of righteousness, although thousands of years, bitter winds of change, pounding rains of sorrow, scorching heat of hope deferred, have crashed against and faded them. Yet they stand stately, unblemished, unshaken, unchanged. God is still the same yesterday, tomorrow, and forever. He still speaks. He still grieves. He still forgives. And most importantly, he still loves. Time marches with solidarity. Sins yet unheard of. Sins forgotten. Sins embryotic. But grace for all time. The past is still the present, modern grace. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. This is from Living the Proverbs Day by Day and Today's lesson is Conduct and Character. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Charles Stanley said, The Bible teaches that we are accountable to one another for our conduct and character. Godly men and women agree. As believers in Christ, we must seek to live each day with discipline, honesty, and faith. When we do, at least two things happen. Integrity becomes a habit, and God blesses us because of our obedience to Him. Living a life of integrity isn't the always the easiest way, but it is always the right way, and God clearly intends that it should be our way too. Character isn't built overnight, it is built slowly over a lifetime. It is the sum of every decision and every honest word. It is forged on the anvil of honorable work and polished by the twin virtues of honesty and fairness. Character is a precious thing, difficult to build, and wonderful to behold. My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers The lesson is entitled, His Ascension and Our Access. It came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. We have no experiences in our lives that correspond to the events in our Lord's life after the transfiguration. From that moment forward, his life 
was altogether substitutionary. Up to the time of the transfiguration, he had exhibited the normal, perfect life of a man. But from the transfiguration forward, Gethsemane, the cross, the resurrection, everything is unfamiliar to us. His cross is the door by which every member of the human race can enter into the life of God. By his resurrection, he has the right to give eternal life to anyone. And by his ascension, our Lord entered heaven, keeping the door open for humanity. The transfiguration was completed on the Mount of Ascension. If Jesus had gone to heaven directly from the Mount of Transfiguration, he would have gone alone. He would have been nothing more to us than a glorious figure. But he turned his back on the glory and came down from the mountain to identify himself with fallen humanity. The ascension is the complete fulfillment of the transfiguration. Our Lord returned to his original glory, but not simply as the Son of God. He returned to his Father as the Son of Man as well. There is now freedom of access for anyone straight to the very throne of God because of the ascension of the Son of Man. As the Son of Man, Jesus Christ deliberately limited his omnipotence, omnipresence, and omniscience, but now they are in his absolute power, full power, as the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, has now has all the power at the throne of God. From his ascension forward, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, at the end of that uh, paragraph, there are three words, omnipotent, omniscience, which is spelled omniscience, uh, so I'm a little... Uh, it's a little gray there for me on that, and omnipresence. These are three words that I've heard quite a, quite a bit and kind of pretended that I knew them, but not really, just relying on what I barely barely remembered from the past. Uh, let's go over these real quick so we know what they really are, actually. Omnipotent. That means all-powerful. Monotheistic theologians regard God as having supreme power. This means God can do what he wants. It means he is not subject to physical limitations like man is. Being omnipotent, God has power over wind, water, gravity, physics, etc. God's power is infinite or limitless. Omniscience means all-knowing. God is all-knowing that he is aware of the past, present, and future. Nothing takes him by surprise, and his knowledge is total. He knows all there is to know and all that can be known. Omnipresence means all present. This term means that God is capable of being everywhere at the same time. It means his divine presence encompasses the whole universe. There is no location where he doesn't inhabit. Omnipresence indicates that God is distinct from the universe, but inhabits the entirety of it. He is everywhere at once. Our lesson from Streams in the, Streams in the Desert starts off with 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. We were under great pressure so that we despaired of life itself, meaning it sounds like they wanted to die, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God, who raises the dead. 
This lesson starts out also with a little bit of what I call five o'clock poetry. Press beyond measure, yes, press to great length. Press so intensely beyond my own strength. Pressed in my body and pressed in my soul. Pressed in my mind till the dark surges roll. Pressure from foes and pressure from dear friends. Pressure on pressure till life nearly ends. Pressed into knowing no helper but God. Pressed into loving his staff and his rod. Pressing into liberty where nothing clings. Pressed into faith for impossible things. Pressed into living my life for the Lord. Pressed into living a Christ life outpoured. The pressure of difficult times makes us value life. Every time our life is spared and given back to us after a trial, it is like a new beginning. We better understand its value and thereby apply ourselves more effectively for God and for humankind. And the pressure we endure helps us to understand the trial of others, equipping us to help them and to sympathize with them. Now, some people have a shallowness about them. With their superficial nature, they lightly take hold of a theory or a promise and then carelessly tell of their distrust of those who retreat from every trial. Yet a man or woman who has experienced great suffering will never do this. They are very tender and gentle and understand what suffering really means. This is what Paul meant when he said, Death is at work in us. 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, verse 12. Trials and difficult times are needed to press us forward. They work in the way the fire in the hold of a mighty steam, steamship provides the energy that moves the pistons, turns the engine, and propels the great vessel across the sea, even when facing the wind and the waves. In his book, 1001 Things You Always Wanted to Know About Angels, Demons, and the Afterlife by J. Stephen Lang, he does mention the Transfiguration. Were the saintly men of the Old Testament already in heaven? The Gospels suggest that this was the case. Consider the event known as the Transfiguration. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, brought them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to him, talking with him. A bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. That was Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 3 and verse 5. In Jewish tradition... Moses represented the law, while Elijah represented the great prophets of Israel. This amazing encounter serves as proof that Moses and Elijah were not just dead and buried saints, but also living men. This also backs up Jesus when he said that he came to, and he represented the law and the prophets. 